This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today. I'm your host, Jay Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Guys, welcome to the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have actually a two-part episode with Craig Steele of Exclusive Pursuits Outfitters. Craig actually drew a personal tag in the state of Utah in 2013. Uh, He drew the Monroe Mountain Archery Elk tag and... In these two episodes, you're going to get to hear the trials and tribulations that every elk hunter goes through in drawing the tag and trying to figure out where to hunt. Craig had never been up on the Monroe Mountain, Uh, drew the tag, was real fortunate to draw the tag, and then it's kind of a now what, and guiding and having the different responsibilities that he had at home, uh, which most hunters have, uh, he he had to uh, kind of use his time wisely and try and efficiently scout and efficiently hunt and try and kill the biggest bull he could. He ended up killing a fantastic bull and um, this is actually a great two-part series so you'll want to listen to both part one and part two. Um, Craig gives a real honest account of the Monroe Mountain and the unit uh, and some of the characteristics of the unit and the, the places where he found elk and uh, some of the, the hardships that he found and some of the great things that he found uh, hunting the Monroe Mountain in Utah. And I think uh, many of you can relate to this episode because uh, we've all drawn tags um, and not really known what to do. And uh, Craig chose to go on this hunt uh, DIY and, and not go with an outfitter. And so, you know, I think you'll be able to relate to the some of the hardships that um, that he faced uh, when drawing this tag. So um, I want to also thank Craig for being on. He's a great supporter of this podcast and uh, you're going to really enjoy this episode. I also wanted to talk to you guys, my listeners. Um, you know that GoHunt.com Insider is a sponsor of this podcast. Um, GoHunt.com uh, is a pretty cool website if you haven't checked it out. Uh, go to GoHunt.com. At the top, you'll see they have a uh, number of icons, the life, skills, news, the hunt, outfitter directory, landowner tags, and then the GoHunt Insider. Uh, Pretty cool in the news category. There's a bunch of great articles. uh, Fawn survival and Wyoming's declining deer numbers. uh, Proposed new season to thin Montana elk herd. Uh, Oregon may delist wolves this fall. Um, five men charged 20500 for poaching in Utah. Uh, hunters to remove diseased bighorns in Montana. Um, then there's an alert. New Mexico leftover licenses available. Uh, and much more. That's, that's under the news category. And then if you go to the skills category, there's great articles. What bow cam is the perfect choice? Uh, how to tell a great hunting story with video, uh, the pack out, why you need to train, uh, how to locate and hunt more elk, uh, do you need to be fit to kill an elk, how long can you wait for your monster buck, uh, outfitters can make or break your hunt. So 
that's just a couple of examples of the great resource that uh, GoHunt.com is. Uh, the Insider also has uh, great uh, uh, resources for studying and trying to figure out which units you want to apply for. Um, you can uh, sign up at GoHunt.com Insider. Uh, you, you can get a bunch of stuff for free on GoHunt.com as well. Um, and on the Insider, there's unit profiles and uh, uh, app, app strategies and, and, and things you need to think about when applying in the Western state. So guys, I want to thank you for supporting this podcast. Uh, the support has been unbelievable. Uh, there's not a day that goes by that I don't get email messages, Facebook messages, Instagram messages, uh, phone calls, text, uh, saying how much you guys like the podcast. Uh, I really appreciate your support and I'm going to do my best to continue to bring you great information. If you want to give me comments uh, or have questions, you can email me at jscottoutdoors.com. Uh, go on our Facebook page and like uh, J. Scott Outdoors, uh, our YouTube channel. We've got a great resource there with a lot of different videos. Uh, I want to go ahead and get to this episode, guys, and uh, hope you guys are having a great summer and hope you're getting prepared for your upcoming hunts. And I know it's an exciting time to be a hunter and uh, with all of the uh, hunts starting, uh, you know, we've got doll sheep and stone sheep hunts here starting quickly, uh, you know, uh, June, July and August. Um, we've got archery mule deer, archery elk, antelope, uh, just all sorts of great stuff going on. So um, keep practicing with your bows, keep shooting your guns, um, you know, get in shape and be ready for this upcoming season. So let's dive right into this episode with Craig Steele. And once again, it's a part one and part two. So make sure to catch both, uh, both episodes. Thanks, guys. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Craig Steele, the publisher and originator of OrgHunt.com, uh, a great guide in Arizona with exclusive pursuits, outfitters, and always a friend of this podcast. Uh, Craig, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jay. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. You know, to call you a publisher, is that exactly the right term? Because OrgHunt is all digital. Is that still a pub? publisher or would you consider yourself a content originator or what would you call yourself I, I, you know i think traditionally publishers are, are kind of perceived as print books magazines yep. but uh you know you're still publishing stuff um on the web so i i, I think that's uh valid you're still publishing content it's just in a digital different medium it's not a you know still text and video and you know, you could call it content creator or whatever you want to call it, but yeah, I think it's it's fair. I just saw your um, most recent um, blog post on uh, orghunt.com, and it looks like you did the Arizona Antelope uh, Foundation and ga uh, Game and Fish seminar on antelope hunting down there. How'd that go? It went well. Um, you know, it, I would like to see more people there and a little bit younger demographics, but it's it's really good information. I think it's, you know, part of it's the draw and how long people have to wait. So that kind of, there was 44 tag holders out of, you know, roughly eight to 900 tags. Um, so that's not a bad turnout, but you know, the, the younger demographics makes you really think uh, where they're picking up information and, and, and how they're learning versus the older demographics. So um, I think there could be some, you know, changes there, but as far as 
how you market stuff like that to get younger folks involved. But yeah, it went well. Good. And um, what did you cover in your seminar portion? Um, bow hunting. Um, they broke it down very well. They had uh, uh, field judging. Uh, Glenn Dickens did the field judging. Um, that was pretty quick. And then uh, another Jim uh, McCaslin did uh, rifle antelope hunting, um, which that was fairly well. And then uh, Cody from the Outdoorsman's did uh, optics. Um, they had a tax service there, Rick Lopez from Double Buck doing the caping, and then I did the bow hunting. So uh, you need more time, I think, in those deals, and I can talk forever, you know that. Um, I think we both can um, on on what our passion is. So it would be nice to have more time on events like those. It feels like you're kind of rushing to get through, and you don't really give get the, give the value that you want to give or really – I didn't even hardly get to answer any questions because I'm so long-winded. So, um. yeah, I mean, I know when Dar and I do seminars, um, you know, it, it, honestly, we did one in the spring and it, it was two and a half hours. We did spring turkey hunting for the Desert Christian Archers um, Association, and and uh, you know, I wanted to leave literally an hour for questions, and it as it turned out, we only had about thirty minutes for questions, but. You know, quite frankly, um, you know, we ended up having to stop. I mean, there probably could have been two hours worth of question question and answer, um, which, you know, it, it's fantastic because I think those, those uh, you know, those get-togethers are great ways for people to come and learn. And I think, you know, what I've learned with this podcast is, you know, there, there's people out there that really want the information and one of my goals with this podcast is to continue to bring good information because I know that in, in essence, um, you know, people are starving somewhat for uh, good content and good information. Um, that's one thing I've always liked about orghunt.com is, you know, going on there and you always have a good perspective and different perspective sometimes than the norm. And, um, it's nice to see sometimes the vulnerability that uh, that's on your site and, and, you know, you video sometimes when you've just gotten your butt kicked or something by a, you know, big bull or a buck or, you know, they've given you the slip and you're totally frustrated. You turn the camera on where, whereas even myself and, and others, I would say, uh, you know, we tend to only want to show the, 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 the good things that happen, but I think people can learn from those vulnerabilities. Yeah, no, that that's definitely, I love that. Uh, I, I think, you know, it seems like in, uh, you know, from my perspective is a lot of things you see, you know, a lot of it's just because of money and time with the way traditional media is, is, you know, you, you see all the success, you know, and I think after a while that brand's in your head, why, why can't I be successful? All these other guys are being successful and it somewhat creates this euphoria of, of this thought that, you know, um, all of us that post pictures or have a website were successful on every hunt or that guide hunters were successful on every hunt when there's so much more that goes into it. And, and there's so many times when you fail and, and when you don't get the animal that you want to get or, or you, you know, you, it just doesn't happen, especially with trophy hunting. And I, I just, I like to share that because I think ultimately I think that, that really matters. And I think a lot of times I learned more from what I didn't do 
than from what I actually did do because sometimes there's a lot of luck involved with what I do do. So, um, or, you know, how, when I do succeed on a hunt. And so anyway, I, I, I like to show that. I think, I think it creates a, uh, something. And I, I think in the digital format, you're able to do that because it's, um, doesn't cost prohibit you by, you know, because of the way traditional media is, you only have X amount of pages and each page costs this amount of money. Television show, you have 18 minutes of airtime or whatever it is. Whereas on, on the web, um, you can afford to burn some time and because it's basically just your time or somebody else's time that you're paying to put in to publish that or put that content out. Um, and then it's just a matter of how many people want to watch it and learn from it. And there's sometimes I don't get as many views because I do do a longer video and maybe show that stuff. But I think ultimately that guys that do follow me, they learn and they get a sense of respect. I mean, I had a guy at the Arizona Antelope Foundation come up to me and shake my hand and say, man, I watch your videos. I love your videos. And he's like, you and your truck listen to music. You're just a regular dude. And the truth behold, we're all just regular dudes. Um, the way marketing has been is, is, is it creates this mystique and this uh, branding of um, I'm an untouchable and I'm you know basically a superstar deal when – we're all just regular du dudes going through regular problems, living life. One day we'll all die. And once you have that attitude or once you realize that everybody's a regular dude, you know, even from, you know, Randy Ulmer to, you know, Lee and Tiffany, um, they're all regular dudes and have regular problems. It makes it a lot easier to show that stuff. Yeah, that's a great point and great perspective. Um, awesome stuff, man. It's shaping up to be a, could be a phenomenal uh, elk gear. I'm thinking it's going to be every bit as good as 05. Um, what are you thinking in Arizona here? Oh, yeah, it, it definitely is. You know, I, I'm still skeptical until I see it because 05 was such a banner year, but it's going to be right up there. I mean, it's definitely last three or four over the last three or four years. Um, I think definitely since 2010, um, it's going to be there. Um, I worry a little bit, and this is me psychoanalyzing this whole scenario. <laughs> Overanalyzing. I, I worry a little bit about, uh, you know, officially about four years ago, and I'm a nutcase, so if you guys are listening to me about whether Jay knows this, about, it may have been six years ago. Now the National Weather Service changed the terms of when the actual monsoon season was by a specific date instead of it used to be by there had to be three consecutive days of dew points higher than 55. Um, and that typically, so you had to wait on the dew point to be 55 degrees or higher for three consecutive days before they confirmed that the monsoon had showed up, which typically doesn't help elk antler growth per se as a whole on, and it's specifically on that year. But, um, now they've changed it just kind of a generic way of doing it right now we're in monsoon awareness week and then next week i believe is when the actual monsoon season starts by calendar it's more like you know i'd say it's more like for the general public awareness but it's actually not going to be here until we hit 55 degrees uh dew point uh, for three consecutive di uh, days um so um, I worry uh, antler growth is going to be what it is. It's going to be good. So there's no doubt there. You know, um, I just hope we've been having rains in June, which is going to help antler growth a ton. 
Um, so what's your worry? I'm just worried. That I hope I hope we get, and I think even with an average monsoon, or I think we can even go below average and still have a good rut year. I just hope we don't get a non-existent monsoon. So you're um, so the so so you're. Are you Debbie Downer in this? You're thinking no, it's been no, so just, wet in May and June just, that that just, that the the monsoon's going to dud I'm out on us. Over, I'm over analyzing, <laughs> and I'm just, I'm out, if I'm not worried about that, I'm worried about something else. So it's okay. like it's one. Of, it's just over analyzing the situation. Um, you know, I, I if I had to guess right now, I think the rut's going to come early. Um, I think guys are going to want to have a bow bow or in unit nine uh, a, a muzzleloader in some of these states in New Mexico and. And Utah and some of these units, they're going to want to be hunting by September 1st. Yeah, so, and, and I'm with you on that. I think if we have just an average monsoon, which my grandfather, uh, Papa, used to always say, uh, monsoon starts July 4th. Don't listen to what everybody else says. July 4th of July is when the monsoon starts. And, you know, being a rancher for 80-some years, um, he, he he usually was right on. But, you know, maybe we get some, uh, you know, early or early July, maybe even late June storms, and maybe it rolls in early being a weak El Nino, you know, uh, from what I've learned, actually a weak El Nino, Arizona typically gets more rain than a strong El Nino with the way, with the way, I guess it's the, the, the way that the weather comes across Arizona. Yeah. Um, and all of it depends but, on the cows, you know, and the cows are going into when they're going to have their calves, which is starting pretty soon, um, probably right now. Um, through July, um, cows cows are going in there healthy. I mean, we're having record rains for May and, and June. It's yeah. It's I mean, my friend up in Tucson, uh, I've got a Unit Nine archery hunter. I don't have a muzzleloader hunter yet, and um, I, I was hoping to have one, but I don't have one. Um, he is telling me that they had uh, I think 1.4 uh, 1.4 inches so far in the month of June, and they had a great May, which you know, people have to understand May and June are typically Arizona's driest months of the year. Yep. And to have, you know, his comment, he has a archery tag as well in unit nine, my friend that lives up there, Monty. And, um, he's like, bring your weed whacker cause you're in lawnmower cause you're going to need it. He says, you know, I, I've never seen it like this. He's been up there. This is his 12th year. And, um, so, you know, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, a great year in unit nine, um, I think the antler growth from everything that I'm hearing is going to be at maximum potential, um, which to me in unit nine, that means there's a lot of 350 bulls. And uh, typically on a great year in unit nine, you know, you can see a 350 plus bull every single day. And I'm not even really worried about the high end, the upper end bulls because they'll be there. What I really like is being out there and having good bugling and having, you know, 350-plus bull encounters every day, I mean, that is just hard to beat. Oh, yeah, I know, and that's something to be said. And that's something that we know. We always talk about it, and guys compare, you know, 350, 360, 370, 380 bulls, and it's like, I mean, year to year it changes, you know, and it really, you know, one year a 350 bull could just be, you know, top five bulls taken. The next year there could be, you know, out of unit nine, there could be 30 bulls taken that are 350. You know, yeah, I mean, in 2013, uh, you know, I was in Unit 9, Dar and I were in there, and, uh, you know, we were in there in 12 as well, and 12 was a pretty darn good year, and 13 
was, you know, the antler growth was way, way down and didn't see very many bulls over 350 at all, um, you know, a handful and not very many top end bulls. Um, but, you know, there were a few big bulls that were killed and I think those bulls are just were an an anomaly. Um, but it's going to be exciting to see a year like this where, you know, they've been on good green feed, uh, this spring early and, and their body should be, you know, at, at, at peak potential, which in turn makes their antlers big. So, um, it's going to be fun. Uh, want to shift gears a little bit today on the podcast on this episode. I want to talk to you about your, uh, two, in 2013, you had drawn a Monroe Mountain uh, archery tag in Utah, and I want to talk to you the, about the ins and outs of the Monroe Mountain and what you experienced on your elk hunt, and uh, you shot a fantastic bull, and um, you know, you were after a bigger bull, and, and you know, your videos on YouTube, uh, No Excuses 2013 Utah Archery Elk, um, you've got a really cool trailer and then you break the hunt down into three episodes um and i encourage anybody that hasn't uh seen them to go on and watch craig's uh videos on youtube um craig tell me about your why you applied for the monroe and how many points you had to draw the tag okay well i started applying man i can't i had like i think i had six points um, built up in Utah for elk and um, I started applying for Utah um, because it was close to my home state and there was country in there it was producing big bulls obviously um, and there was country in there that that I thought I could be effective if I drew a tag um, while hunting on my own and uh, so it come down to two choices um, for me that I applied for it was the Monroe Mountain and the Southwest Desert. Um, I ultimately chose the Monroe as my first choice because of the tag numbers. Um, I had a good friend, one of my best friends, Mike Collins. Um, he'd, he'd hunted up there. He's from, from Arizona and he'd hunted up there on deer hunts. And, you know, he, he liked the country and, and kind of knew it a little bit. Um, but, uh, so that, that kind of is what, went on in my head of course the spider bowl come from the monroe mountains so you know the genetics are there and you know i I watched a few things some of the times up guys live there and in monroe and and so i just i just went for it on an archery tag i had very little chance of drawing the tag there was seven tags total in the unit i believe in 2013 and there was one allocated non-resident archery tag um I had a 1.39% chance of drawing it, and I drew it. Um, $800 came up on my credit card or something around there for the for the tag, and I was like, holy crap. And uh, it was an awesome feeling. But uh, with that, I also had, it was the first year that Lee and I uh, were doing exclusive pursuit outfitters hunts. And so I had obligations of guiding as well you know, and so I had already had an archery antelope hunt um, scheduled, and I had an archery elk hunt, but I was, you know, because of the way that season started, which was like the, the, the middle of like the 13th of August, and then ran through like September 9th or something, um, I was, you know, going to be able to hunt some days. 
and it's about a six hour drive, I believe from where I live. Um, so that's kind of my, how I decided to apply for it. And then when I drew it, when I drew it, it's when reality kind of sunk in. And I, you know, I know I talked to you, obviously I talked to my partner, Lee. I talked to my good friend, Mike. I talked to Eric. Hunt. Um, I talked a little bit through messaging with, uh, uh, David Roscoe. Um, uh, but, uh, really I didn't know anybody that actually had hunted that hunt at all. And so then the process was, okay, you go through the process of, I, I knew I wasn't going to hire a guide, you know, financially, I, I couldn't afford it at that time. I was going through, um, some financial troubles, um, with my magazine, um, portion of our business. And consequently the fall, the, you know, later that in January, I decided to shut that magazine down. Um, so I knew, you know, obviously couldn't afford to hire a guide. It's kind of not my DNA to hire a guide because I'm more in it for the, you know, quote unquote adventure. And I'm really very opinionated and very, uh, when it's my own tag, I'm good guiding guys and I'm good going on hunts with other people. But when it's my own tag, I will literally lose hair, sleep, uh, dream for months before the hunt that I've slept through the hunt and wasted the entire hunt. Um, and you know, just, I, so in I, other words, you're, you're admitting you're a certified nutcase. Yes, kind of like me. I'm a certified nutcase. I'm moody. I'm angry. I'm, you know, I'm like <laughs> Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You know, I, I, you know, to be honest with you, when it's my, are you saying you don't play well with others? I don't very few, very few, pe- <laughs> very few people, um, you know, will want to hunt with me when it's my tag. I mean, it just, I, I, and I, I mean that with all due respect to everybody else, but I'm just, I'm so intense when it comes, when it comes to my own tag, because I know I have limited time and because, you know, I just, I, I've, I've messed up enough to know that, you know, I got to go, 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 go. Um, so then, 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 you know, come, trying to schedule when I was going to get up there to go scout. And then, you know, reality sets in, you know, you have kids off for summer break. I have two kids, you know, you have coaching responsibilities, you have scouting responsibilities here, still publishing content, still at that point in time, still trying to run the magazine, um, get the magazine out to distribution, uh, get it to print, get it to the distributors, get it to, uh, you know, check our sales and I mean, all the normal stuff that everybody has to deal with in their daily lives. I mean, I had to deal with it as well. So, um, then it was, you know, Google earth. Um, I use, uh, the on X mounts overlay, um, which I work with those guys and I, you know, was researching the unit, um, trying to figure out, okay, what, get a feel for what it looks like. Um, where I might like to hunt, then it was, you know, obviously topo maps, you know, of course order. I, I always want a hard map too. Um, then it and was. And Craig, what, where are the boundaries? N- not to interrupt you, but before you get into it, you know, where is the Monroe mountain? The, uh, is it in Southwest Utah? It, it's in And so- kind of what are the general boundaries of it? I'd call it South Central Utah, I guess. Um, Richfield is kind of the biggest town there. Um, the West side, it's highway 89, um, and it runs down to the south, which is Highway 62, 
to the east side is Highway 62 to Highway 24 on the northeast side, and then I-70 comes across the north to northwest side. Um, Richfield's kind of your biggest hub. Um, there's a little town called Greenwich. There's a little town called Marysville. Um, uh, the Mon a little town called Monroe, uh, but Richfield's kind of that's the place where you you know uh, we ran to Greenwich because we hunted on the east side um, a few times to get ice and whatnot. But um, Richfield's kind of your main hub. Um, okay, so you've you've drawn the Monroe, you've got your Onyx maps, you're trying to figure out when you're going to scout. How do you end up picking the area that you picked? Um, and how long did it take you to figure out that that's where you wanted to hunt? Well, f well, first, what I did is, you know, just Googled the heck out of Monroe Mountain, Monroe elk hunting, found some YouTube videos of some bulls. I was just trying to get comfortable and get a sense of the topography and how I was going to attack it. Because, you know, I knew that the elk were going to be kind of in the pre-rut, going into the rut, um, stage and I was going to need to do a lot of glassing and, and, and a lot of that. Um, I was looking at time frame wise, the way my schedule worked is I was going to go up the day before the opening day for two and a half days, look around and kind of get a sense of the unit. And then I wasn't going to be able to come back until the last eight days of the hunt. So from the first through the eighth of September. So you know, right then, I think what a lot of guys don't do is they don't, they're not realistic on their time frame. What do you have for time frame to hunt? So my mind was, okay, how can I gather the most information and be the most effective? So when I went up there the first time, um, I had already Googled every possible term, even the mountains. I had YouTube searched everything. I even went on Instagram and hashtag search, and which you know what that is, but hashtag is basically the number sign. You go on Instagram and you can hashtag search stuff like Monroe Mountain or Utah elk hunting or Utah elk. And you're all, I'm, I'm looking for stuff not only from hunters, but from non-hunters as well, just to get a feel for the country. Right. I, so if some, if some old lady posts a picture of a meadow with an elk yes. in it and you want to just see, oh, where's that at? Oh, is it a big elk? Is yes. it cows? You know, what time of year is it? You know, what are they eating? Da, 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 da. Exactly. Do I like the country? Is that huntable for me? It, you know what I mean? That, that's, I'm just trying to get my mind comfortable is what I was trying to do. I'd been through there, but I'd never actually been in the unit. Um, I also talked to Jimmy Hoffman a little bit because he, I forgot about this. He, he fished there a lot growing up and, you know, he was more in the higher country up towards Monroe, the actual Monroe peak. Um, and I can't even remember the names of the lakes up there, but I talked to him a little bit and he, he was talking about some of the bulls he would see up there. Um, I did call the uh, DNR and the, uh, the the wildlife biologist there uh, or DNR unit specialist, whatever they call it. Um, I talked to him a little bit. He told me, you know, the high country stuff. And then he told me, you know, I asked him, well, what type of bull would you would you shoot? And he said, if I saw a 340 bull, if you see a 340 bull, you better shoot it on that hunt. And, and my goal going into it was to kill a 350-plus bull. That was my mindset. I think a 350-plus bull, you and I have talked about this, is, is a big bull. You know, and then when you go in there on your own, specifically out of state, you're stacking the odds against you. 
you know, that's the value in hiring a guide when you go out of state is you, you put the odds more in your favor. If you're a local guy and you're 15 minutes, you know, you live in Richfield and you draw that tag, you have all the advantages in the world, you know, um, outside of the normal things in life. You have the advantages because it's right there. But when you're out of state and you have limited time to scout it you're, and you go there on your own, you're really stacking the odds against you. Um, and it's, it's, I mean, so that's why my number was 350. Um, my own personal experience, that's what I felt was like, okay, that's what I'm going to be happy with is a 350 plus bull. So I drive, I went up there um, by myself and I really didn't even, uh, Lee knew, my partner Lee knew, I really didn't, my wife knew obviously, but I drove up there and and my first thought process after all this stuff was, okay, now that I've looked at everything on, on Topo and, and on Google Earth and on YouTube and all this stuff and got a sense, I need to get realistic sense. So I, my first thought was don't get sucked into anything. Don't, don't just start going right in the middle of the unit. I wanted to drive the entire unit boundary so I could get a feel for the country. I read an article by uh, Randy Ulmer a long time ago about hunting country that you're effective in. And so that's what I wanted to do. I'm more effective, in my opinion, in the juniper pinion type country. Um, Why? Uh, I, just, I just, that's where I hunt a lot. That's where I guide. That's where I feel comfortable. That's where I feel like I know elk habits better. Um, I feel like when I get in the dense timber that um, I can't see as well. I get a little bit more impatient. Uh, Everything seems to slow down in the timber, doesn't it? Yes, and I and I just uh, I, I like to see, you know, and I and I just feel really comfortable in that. You know, I'm living in Arizona. I'm a desert dweller down here, so that's where desert I desert rat. Yeah, that's where I was gonna kind of go. Now with that. There is some curiosity because you do see so much back country and high country stuff that you're like, man, maybe I need to get the furthest I can from a road, you know, because you see so much of that and so many people talking about that. Monroe has a lot of roads in it. It's a unit that has a ton of roads. There's a lot of ATVing um, out of Marysville and Richfield. Um, there's a ton of roads in it. And that's one thing that I did discover and I did read before as well. And so I did a 360 of the unit, and then, you know, I started glassing. Um, I tried to cover as much as I could from, from the highways with my glass because you're glassing up. Whereas in Arizona, a lot of times you're glassing down or, you know, in Unit 9's case, you're just glassing across the meadow. One of the unique things I found about there is it's just a mountain range, and you're glassing up most of the time in some of that lower country. So... It was a lot easier for me to see bulls and see elk and animals because I was glassing a lot of times up at them. Whereas in Arizona, there is so much flat, dense, thick junipers, you can't hardly see in some of it. Some of it. So that was one of the interesting things that I found. So I did that 360 
And then I started, I wanted to get up on top. So I went up on top. I found a ton of people up on top. Now in Utah, at least this year, and, I, and I'd have to look at how it was, but I'm in the waiting period. So I really didn't pay that much attention to it. But in Utah, they had the general or they had the archery deer season going that same weekend, along with a cow and spike season that all opened up that same weekend. And there was guys riding on quads everywhere. Um, yeah, I mean, I can attest, I know I've only hunted in Utah one time, and it was with Steve Chapel back uh, years and years ago. Um, he drew a limited entry uh, archery tag on the boulder. I want to say it was like 2005 or six. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. It was It was quite a while ago. And that was the one thing that shocked me is I think there was only like uh, – I don't know, 10 limited entry tags total in the unit. So I thought we had it to ourselves and there were people everywhere because it was over the counter archery deer and over the counter spike and cow. And I mean, it was as if you were in unit 6A in Arizona, you know, with 1500 tags. It was insane. Yeah, it, it, it was like that too, especially in the higher country. It was really busy guys camping you know, quads riding, those guys riding quads everywhere. They had quad trails that they have marked out up there, you know, and I was in my truck. I had my quad in the back of my truck, but most of the time I didn't use it because I was just, I mean, and when I'm scouting, you know, I didn't do a lot of spotlighting because I wasn't as familiar with the unit, but um, I, when I'm scouting, I, it's from, you, and you know this, it's from, sometimes late at night to late at night or early in the morning to late at night. And it's constantly going, especially when I'm by myself. I get a lot of hunters that want to go with us when we scout and it's, it's not glory time. It's time for a can of soup, um, maybe a cracker, you know, protein shake, uh, Gatorade water and just go, you know, go, go, go check in waters, um, and that's how I was there. I was checking waters. Obviously, I want to be up somewhere. I want to get up somewhere or be down somewhere where I could see a lot of country early in the morning and late in the evening. But then during that middle of the daytime, it wasn't time to take a nap. It was time to go. I wanted to see at that point in time, I wanted to see where the rain had hit. So once I drove the 360, I kind of, you know, went up on top of the mountain and it drove, I drove all the way down the center of the mountain and even off. What I found that at least that particular year, there was some country on that Southwest side that I actually thought was pretty good, but it was real dry over there. And I just couldn't find the elk sign. Found a lot of elk up on top, but of course I found a ton of people. Um, there was a few elk up on the North side um, that I saw, but it just, it, there was some private property issues. Um, one thing that Onyx GPS system, I run it in my vehicle and then I can pop off my Garmin GPS. And that thing just makes you feel so comfortable because it has topo, has land status. And so it just confirms what you're seeing on the map. You know, um, it just. It so makes, as you're driving all over the unit, your, your GPS is rolling, your Onyx is rolling and um, you're looking at the, what is it, the blue line that shows the, the, the um, private property. And, and so the whole time you're just trying to gather as much intel and taking in as much as you possibly can because you're not taking a guide and you have, you're basically learning a whole unit from scratch. Exactly. So, That's so exactly you're gathering, 
you're you're just soaking up as much info as you can at a high rate of speed. Exactly. That's all I'm doing. I don't even care. You know, I have my bow with me. The the second day I was up there on that that first trip was actually opening day. You know, and I wasn't even in camo or anything. I think I even had Levi's on or something. And I I I didn't care. I wasn't anticipating, you know, I seen some bulls, but I wasn't anticipating hunting. I was just there basically burning days scouting because, you know, just like you said, I was taking up as much information as I can. I wanted to feel as much like a local as I could. And so by that, I needed to see every, almost every nook and cranny that I, that I could possibly, possibly see of the unit and go, okay, what's going to best fit my style? Where are their elk? Where has it rained? What I was predominantly looking for from an elk standpoint was the cows. Where are the cows? Because I knew it was early. It was before, you know, bulls were just starting to rub. Um, and I wanted to see the cows because finding the bulls, when I knew I'd be able to come back and hunt, they would be in totally different areas. You know, so it did me no good to go try to find a big bull with two and a half days up there and not being able to come back for another, you know, 15 days. And then the rut being, you know, kicking in. So I was looking for cows. Um, I did find a bunch of cows up on top. The the east side seemed to have more rain, and it seemed to have more elk. Um, I glassed up quite a few cows on that east side, um, and in some country that was lower, um, country that was kind of sagebrush, reminded me a little bit of Unit 9, but it was actually, you know, the mountain ran up, and I could glass it all from below. And, uh, you know, it that that was my mentality. Once I found those elk on that east side, I found, you know, 150 cows or so and seen where that rain went and seen the amount of pressure up on top and seen the amount, seen the type of country that was up on top as far as timber. And I didn't see hardly anybody anywhere on the, on the sides and the bottom of the mountain, the Monroe Mountain, all the way around from about Greenwich to Marysville on the on the west side, Greenwich on the east side, to Marysville on the west side, I didn't hardly see anybody on the bottom side of the mountain. Everybody was up on top or on the north side of the hill or on the north why side. Do you think, why do you think that was, Craig? You know, Richfield's up there. It kind of reminded me a little bit, like you're saying, of 6A, um, you know, where Flagstaff's at. It kind of reminded me of that, that, you know, and I think it was cool, and I think there was a lot of family hunting going on, you know, um, maybe some guys that were not necessarily hunting, but camping and, you know, um, me, I always find the worst camping spots in the world. Um, they're usually, you know, sagebrush or, you know, out in the middle of a flat or I don't care. I'm not in it to camp, you know, I'm in it to hunt and find the best animal I could possibly find. So I think guys were a lot of, you know, camping in some of those areas that were nice, you know. Um, are are you kind of are you kind of like me in the fact that Dar kind of ridicules me sometimes when we go hunt somewhere and he'll say, you know, you just want to show up and go to the most nasty, most rugged, most uh, flat, you know, where you know the least amount of people will be, and that's where you want to head first. Are are, I love, are you I love, are you scouting with the mentality of where can I find some elk and where can I find the least amount of people and where do those two lines 
intersect each other where you've got elk and you've got no people. Okay, that's where I want to hunt. That I would I love that because you know, I'd rather compete against a big old bull elk than compete against you know twenty other guys for twenty other big bull elk. You know because I don't know I can't control the other hunters. Can't control the elk, but I can control what I do. You know, um, and so that's. I, I do. I, I love that. I love that aspect. And, you know, on this sometimes it comes back to bite you, though. I mean, I end up I end up in some corner of a unit and there's, you know, three elk total. And then I have to go, OK, get back up where the animals are. You know, you're 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 trying to find the big giant out in the, you know, out in the sagebrush that, you know, you, you've got to yourself. But the reality is you've gone five days here and seen, you know, two animals get back up where you need to be and maybe that the, the you know the people factor goes up a little bit but you're back into the animals do you find yourself in that situation sometimes too yeah yeah no i do i definitely do it's that's that's a i mean it's just the challenge of the hunt man i do is it definitely do so um, okay so you you've kind of figured out where you want to be the season is actually rolling but you're not actually hunting you're just trying to figure out where you need to be for those prime 8 days when you're coming back Exactly that's it and once I found you know where I wanted to be in the low country on the east side um found elk there kind of reassured me that hey you know cuz you're going all these things as when you come out by yourself all these things are going through your head like is there even elk living in this country up here you know what i mean because it's a different state different mentality but once you once you see the feed and once you see those animals in that country that really reassured me and that's i had to leave i had to get back cuz i had to scout for the archery elk or archery animal punt um and i come back i think on a sunday Drove all the way back. I was feeling pretty good. Had those elk, you know, had a had a a big group of cows to to go back in. I knew it would pull some some hopefully better bulls in. And uh, you know, I didn't set up any trail cameras or anything like that because I just I didn't have time. You know, um, I, I hear a lot of guys on the Utah hunt about hunting, you know, around water and stuff like that and patterning them when you. When you go, when you have limited time, you don't have time to do that, you know, so I prefer to, to run and gun, so to speak, call, um, and, and that sort of stuff. But when I came home, did an archery antelope hunt, we, the archery antelope hunt went till the last day, um, and it ended up being an awesome hunt. On the last day, you know, we killed the antelope, we called my dad, um, I was going to go up and hunt all by myself, um. My partner couldn't come, um, and then my good buddy couldn't come, and nobody could come. So I was prepared. I was like, all right, this is going to be a great adventure all by myself. There's going to be a lot of lot of me time and a lot of thinking time and a lot of, you know, reflecting time and a lot of just pure hunting time, which, you know, as well as I do, we don't get a lot of time to do that as a guide, and I'm sure that, you know, um, you know a lot of other guys don't as well, but... So I called my dad and he's like, we're going to go, him and my mom. My dad's, you know, dang near 60 years old and he has a bad hip and a bad knee and, you know, but he he knows elk and he's one of the, going back to the beginning of this conversation, he's one of the very few people that can put up with my crap um, because, you know, I'll just be. Uh, Why? Does he, does he put you in your place or does he know you well enough to know when to talk and when not to talk? Well, he 
he knows me well enough that, you know, as your dad, you always have an ultimate respect, you know, um, but he knows me well enough to know that I want to go, go, go. And sometimes I do things and I say things and guys, thanks for listening to part one. Monroe Mountain Archery Elk Hunting with Craig Steele. Be sure to tune in to part two. Thanks for listening to the J. Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today.